if you want to change your life, stop focusing on what you can get and start focusing more on what you can give. I think that a lot of suffering comes from focusing on yourself and just focusing on what you can get. Because you can continue to get all the prettiest things in the world, but if you have no one to share them with, then you don't have a life. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. I'm really excited because I'm actually sitting down with a close friend named Josh Durham. Now, Josh is just 23 years old and already runs a multi-multi-million dollar company. But the company is so freaking cool. You see, he's the co-founder of Waiting Comforts. It's the company that makes those weighted blankets for those with you know stress and anxiety and difficulty sleeping and all those ailments that you know people really struggle with. These weighted blankets make a huge difference. So they're not only changing lives with their product, but you're going to find out quickly they're changing lives by the way they employ people as well. You see, this company is a social entrepreneurship company that's been recognized by Forbes and Huffington Post and Southern Living and you name it. They're starting to be recognized everywhere. And it's because of the special way that they manufacture these blankets. You see, they specifically hire immigrants to do the sewing therefore providing great jobs and better lives. As a matter of fact, we tell stories about real evidence of creating these jobs that create better lives for specific people that work for them. These are creating better lives for those who can't otherwise find quality work. He explains how immigrants come here and because they don't have the English language down, even though that some of them have uh, master's degrees, they cannot find unemployment. And so they've created beautiful jobs that pay really well and help these immigrants find purpose and find a better quality of life. How incredible is that? Now, for this effort, Josh was actually just awarded the Forbes 30 Under 30 Social Entrepreneurs Award for 2018. Guys, do you know how big that is? Like, I'm so proud of him. That is the coolest thing to know somebody who's just awarded the Forbes 30 Under 30 Social Entrepreneurs Award. And it is well-deserved because besides making millions of dollars with this idea, they're changing lives in every way. And that is the best part. So get ready. Listen up this episode is incredible. All right, Josh, brother, how you doing, man? Doing well. How are you, Chris? Doing real well. I haven't seen you, what, since the last Mastermind, I think? Yeah, in Ohio. You got to get out to California more. I know. I'm looking so pasty. I always <laughs> am so jealous of my LA friends. They're always just have this tan skin. Dude, full like, confession. It's spray tan. It's organic spray tan. No. I oh, swear to God. Ruined. At least Lori and I, at least Lori and I, I swear to God, it's organic spray tan, like once a week. It's not the <laughs> California sun. The cat is out of the bag. It is. Wow, that, well, that listen, completely when, shatters my universe. No, no, no. When you come out here, I'll make you an appointment. You're going to love it. So listen, um, I typically start with rapid fire. It's a really fun way to help my listeners get to know you in a hurry. And then if there's something really good that comes up, we'll circle back around and do a deep dive. How's that sound? Let's do it. All right. So real easy starting out. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Orange City, Iowa. And where do you live now? 
Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville. I love Nashville. What's your favorite quote? Done beats perfect. So good. What is one of your superpowers? My superpower is marketing. One of your favorite books? Favorite books are The Bible, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, and The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Three perfect answers. Favorite speech you've ever give, given or advice? That I've ever received or given? Given. Oh, that I've ever given. That's a tough one. Speech or advice? Speech or advice. Sorry, this is supposed to be rapid fire. That's okay. I um, catch you off, off guard a little bit. My favorite speech would probably be just sharing uh, the update on waiting comforts at my alma mater and being able to talk with my old business professors there. So uh-huh. just sharing how we've grown and the things that I learned there that I've applied in the real world. That had to be a really cool full circle moment for you. Who is somebody who's changed your life? Uh, my mom. What is one of your all-time favorite accomplishments thus far? At the very young age of what, by the way? Uh, 23, about to turn 24. Dude, you're a baby. You've done so much already. I love <laughs> it. So what are your, what, what's one of your all-time favorite accomplishments so far? Just the fact that our head seamstress, Anwar, she's been able to move her family from a not safe neighborhood to a safe neighborhood and changing the trajectory of her family's life. Dude, I can't wait to get into that. That is so cool. Okay, people are going to love those parts of the story. couple more things here. What is one thing you'd change from your past? If I could change one thing, it would probably be being less selfish when I was in high school and college. Two more. What is something generous you've done recently? I've been sending a couple blankets to some people that I've met that have been struggling with extreme anxiety, completely free of charge. And volunteering my time with Young Life Ministries here in Nashville. And then what are you grateful for today? Today, I'm grateful to be alive, to be breathing for therapy, and having the opportunity to develop deeper, more meaningful relationships. Mm, So good. Okay, let's get a little bit deeper in the interview. And I'm actually going to start at a place that might surprise you. I want to start with an honor that you just received. You you were just awarded the Forbes 30 Under 30 for social entrepreneurs. So number one, congratulations. I'm like out of my mind excited for you. Thank you so much. Just so everybody knows, this is an annual award that's given by Forbes to entrepreneurs who are creating the greatest social good through their successful companies. So it's a real freaking honor. Now, what did it mean to you to get recognized at this level? You know, it actually was so exciting for me because a couple of years ago, I had been interning at a digital marketing agency here in Nashville. And basically, one of the people there mentioned that his uncle was a super successful venture capitalist. And so he was just kind of bragging on him. He's like, yeah, he's raised millions and millions of dollars. And he's helped companies exit for millions and millions of dollars. And he's actually on Forbes 30 under 30. And so that was probably two or three years ago. And it always stuck in my mind as one of those things that I wanted to be on because that apparently equaled what success looks like. So just to be on that list with all those other talented entrepreneurs is like honestly so humbling. Um, I'm extremely grateful for it. Did you have any idea it was coming or was this totally out of left field? 
I actually had two friends who were both on it and they nominated me nominated me on the list, but I had no idea that I was going to get it because they had been emailing me for like, I think I applied probably five or six months ago and they had been pinging me with some questions. And then I basically was like, Oh, Hey, by the way, when is this award coming out? And they were like next week. I was like, Oh shoot. Like I thought it was for 2019. And then my girlfriend actually sent me the screenshot the morning of, and I was like, no freaking way. (laughs) And it's just been like crazy, so crazy ever since. Dude, I love it. When I saw it, I totally flipped out, totally loved it. So something I want to actually talk about, because a lot of people struggle with this. You are actually, we're just talking about this offline, a little bit uncomfortable with recognition, but sometimes recognition like this is a necessary discomfort to get to the next level. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I think just how you have to put yourself out there and get more exposure to get to the next level. So maybe that means getting in front of crowds and speaking about your mission. But I think it's just the most important thing is, you know, staying true to those core values no matter how large the platform is. And so I think it's just important to practice to live out those core values and live out talking about your mission in life at a small scale. So then when that larger scale comes and when you have more eyeballs on you and more people listening, you're still staying true to yourself and you're not just doing things for the spotlight. I'm curious, what are your core values that you're going to stick to? My core values are being ambitious, being people-focused, creating work that creates hope, and doing work that helps heal and restore the world. Mm, so good. It's no wonder you've been a success you know, so quickly at such a young age. So let's talk about this business because the business is what you received the award for. It's called Waiting Comforts. And it's actually, I had totally never heard of anything like this before I met you in the mastermind. It's the coolest thing ever. Tell us about Waiting Comforts. Yeah. So Waiting Comforts is a social entrepreneurship company. We create weighted blankets that help people with anxiety and insomnia. And they're actually sewn by refugees in Nashville, Tennessee. And what that does is we employ refugees to create a sustainable source of income so that they can provide for their families. And we provide paid English classes so that helps those refugees integrate culturally. I want to point something out. You did not say Waiting Comforts is a weighted blanket company. You said Waiting Comforts is a social entrepreneurship company that creates weighted blankets for help people with anxiety and employs refugees. The order in which you answered that already says so much about what your mission is. Expand on that for me. Yeah, I think so. Our number one core value is just people first. And so... I mean, even from the beginning, my mom and I's intent was to create financial stability for ourselves and our employees. And so I just think that if that's the mission, then that should be the first thing you tell to people. We have so much we have to dig into with this. You grew from six employees last year to over 50 now. How did you grow so quick? (laughs) The first step to that was I was in my garage uh, in early 2017. And so oh <laughs> we were we were in my parents' garage. And so we literally were hunting for real estate in Nashville. And Nashville's been blowing up recently. So there's only a 3% vacancy for real estate, meaning there's only 3% of commercial real estate was available to move into. And so we searched for 
probably four to six months for the perfect spot. And we finally found this amazing space that we were sharing that had 1,800 square feet available. And so gradually over time, we started growing from 1,800 square feet now to about 12,000 square feet, I believe. But the real growth has come online. We've done a lot of work um, with Facebook ads, Instagram ads, Google ads, and email marketing has been huge for us as well. And so that's really been, can be attributed to the growth. So we're going to get into all that, you know, how you grew so quickly and some of the hacks that you're using. But I think the most important thing is we have to focus on your employment of refugees and where that came from. So where did that idea come from? What's the why behind it? And what's it done for the company? Well, I think a big why kind of comes down to, you know, one of my biggest struggles that I experienced early on in life. And it's really how waiting comf- how I was motivated to start the company with my mom. And so basically my dad had been laid off in the 2011 economic dip. And then I it basically caused my entire family to move across the country. And so it was an extremely difficult time where I'd grown up in Iowa for 10 years with all of my best friends. And we really experienced what it felt like to struggle financially. And so I moved to Nashville. And then I ended up going to college where my dad taught. And then he got laid off from there as well. And so what happened then was I had tuition remission because he taught at the school. So I got school for free, basically. And when he was fired, they pulled away $20,000 of scholarship per year away from me. And it was almost like that second time was almost like someone had pulled out the rug from underneath me. And so from age 16, I was like, I want to be self-employed. And then that happened to me at age 19. And I was like, I'm going to be self-employed because just the job market seemed way too risky for me to be a part of just because that happened to my dad. And so basically my mom started making weighted blankets for um, a therapy practice. My mom went to back to school at 40 years old just to make enough money for our family. And so she was making the blankets for her therapy practice and people would use the blankets and they would just calm down immediately in the practice. And so her most anxious people would just calm down with the blanket and they could actually regulate themselves in the practice so that they could get out what they were thinking. And so she basically posted it on Facebook. And within one minute, she had two orders for these blankets. And so she sold those to provide you know money for Christmas presents that year. And I came home that January from college and she was telling me about it. And she gave me a blanket to sleep with that night. And I basically went to bed that night with the blanket and I woke up the next morning and I didn't even know where I was. Wow. Is that good of a sleep? Like coma sleep? (laughs) Yes. Because I was like, it was the deepest night's sleep that I'd ever experienced. And so I was basically like, everyone needs to know about these. And so from that place of financial struggle, we found out about the refugee community and how when a refugee comes to the States, they don't have the English speaking skills to get a job. 
And so we heard about this nonprofit called Sew for Hope that actually teaches these women to sew so that they can provide work, um, so they can get work, so they can provide for their families. And so we started hiring and we partnered with Sew for Hope. And then we started hiring many of the women who are graduating from that program. And so that was really in the heart of it was providing that sustainable source of income for these women who had experienced financial loss and had moved just like my family had. So that's really where that came into play. Josh, this is amazing. So dad loses his his job, you lose your tuition, you guys are totally down and out financially, you got to move across the country. And mom literally just accidentally trips across this idea by creating a couple of these blankets for a couple of her patients. Is that right? Yes. That's amazing. And so now in just a couple of quick years, this turned into what is what? Almost a $10 million company in revenue? (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully next year. Not quite. But yeah, it's turned into a multi-seven figure company. That is the coolest story ever. Okay. So sticking with the refugees, you came across So For Hope. Was that just pure like accident that you came across or were you seeking this type of labor? Really, it just came about. It it actually was mentioned by my parents' neighbor who had worked at a ministry nearby. And she had just mentioned So For Hope. It was kind of one of those things. It's kind of like a God thing where someone just mentions it and it just sticks in your mind for some reason. And that's really ha- what happened to my mom. And she was like, where the sewing was becoming too much for my mom at that point. Because she was so she was literally just sewing the blankets at our kitchen table. And she was meeting people at Joanne's Fabric, uh, like meeting in the parking lot and just making like just making custom orders, you know, just hustling. And so she really did it so that so that A, we could provide that source of income, but also just so that she didn't have to sew the blankets anymore because they're so difficult to create. So can you tell me a little bit more about the refugees, how it's changed their life and how many you employ right now? Yeah, so we employ nearly 30 sewers. And so uh, half of our, about half of our workforce is Burmese. And then the other, probably I would split it at a quarter Arabic and a quarter um, Latino. And basically these women are, many of them have master's degrees in mathematics and physics. And a lot of them come from war-torn countries where they can't even go home. Um, And so, so many of them are so intelligent, but they just didn't have the English speaking skills. And I don't know if you've ever been to a different country. I know you travel a lot, Chris, but it's so alienating when you can't even speak the language. Like imagine trying to get work, right? Totally. I think about that actually when I'm in different countries. I'm like, I have a hard time getting around myself and I'm a rather intelligent individual. I can't imagine plopping myself down here in a totally different language and looking for work. Right. And so many of them, what happens is they end up just living on food stamps and they aren't self-sustaining because they don't have um, any other income coming in. And so by providing that extra job or that that new skill, they're able to provide for their families. And many of them will. We've had so many women basically move from being on food stamps to being self-sustaining and then becoming the sole provider of income in their families, like even with their husbands. 
And then that just trickles down to their children. And then they're able, like after a year, many people move from an apartment in a bad part of Nashville to like a townhouse or even a house, like on war and in war's case, um, so that they can get into better schools, get better education for their families and um, just have safer neighborhoods. This is exactly the way it's supposed to work. This is the best story ever. I hope that everyone is listening so closely to this. And when I was asking you what one of your all-time favorite accomplishments this far was, you mentioned it was your head sewing person being able to move from a poor living situation or dangerous living situation to a much better one with their family. Is that right? That's correct. Can you expand on that? Yeah. So Anwar uh, Al-Sad, she actually came to my family's Thanksgiving just this past um, this past week. And her husband just... She brought her husband and her two boys. And basically, they just... He just opened up about... Like with so much gratitude of how... It's so simple just providing a job for them where we actually used to bring those raw materials of the blankets to um, just a parking lot four years ago. And Anwar was our first sewer. And now she's been able to work her way up to a salaried position. And he just opened up of how life-changing it's been for him to see the growth of our company and for them to be in a safe spot to provide for their two boys. And so, I don't know, that just means the absolute world to me. Like the Forbes thing and the other awards are definitely the shiny objects, but to see real life people in your day-to-day, just lives transformed over time is definitely something that is a huge blessing. I couldn't agree more. One of my favorite things in the world, like by miles, is creating really good jobs where people love what they do and you know it's improving their life compared to what their living situation would be like otherwise. It's the best feeling on on the planet. It really is. So, okay, let's kind of shift a little bit. Obviously, you've grown significantly over the past couple of years. What's the biggest hurdle you've had as an entrepreneur growing quickly? You know, I think one of the biggest hurdles is... Once you have you ever read the book Predictable Success? No, should I? Yes, it's amazing. It kind of outlines how there's, I think it's four to five different stages of companies. And so that first stage is called early struggle. And that's where we all start, right? We all start in the early struggle of a company where we are, we don't have really any money coming in. We're just like, you're formulating the brand, you're trying to get some sales. But things aren't going well. You don't have a consistent source of revenue um, or anything like that. And then the next phase is called fun. It's literally called the fun stage because you start getting all this cash is coming in. You're surviving on your own cash flows. You're getting new orders. People are really starting to pay attention to your brand. And But then you come to a place called whitewater. And what happens in Whitewater is you don't have the systems in place to get you to the next level. And systems are so important for any business or any entrepreneur because you can't do it all. Like you need people and you need processes in place so that you can even scale to the next level. And then the other steps after Whitewater is predictable success, where you have an even amount of systems and you have an even amount of entrepreneurship. 
and creativity so that you're not just becoming like a Sears of the world, Mm -hmm. like way too processed. Because then you can become, you can get on treadmill, which is another stage where you just kind of like flatline and you're just coasting and you're, you're too rigid with your processes. And if you're too rigid with your processes, then you're going to end up in death rattle, which is the (laughs) fifth stage, (laughs) which is basically you going bankrupt because you've over systematized. There's no entrepreneurship and there's not a good balance and you're, you're about to flatline. And that's what Sears basically is. You describe Um, these stages so well. What (laughs) one are you guys in right now? So I would say that we are in whitewater. Trying to get the systems to grow next to the next level. Yes. So that's been my biggest challenge is developing systems and really developing people to just own their job and do a really... Um, just like own it. And I'm not saying I actually have an amazing team in place, but often we are understaffed because the system, because once you have like another extra million to two to three to $4 million in revenue, those systems start to break. That could look like, you know, doubling or tripling your website traffic. Maybe you only have one customer service rep that can handle certain amount of customer inquiries coming in where you need to have two to three to four people and they need a system of who gets the next request or maybe it's fulfillment or maybe it's manufacturing. But you have to build in systems to each department so that you can continue to scale. Otherwise, you will end up um, staying in whitewater and (laughs) possibly going into the death rattle. Have you guys raised capital or have you just bootstrapped your way to this successful company? We have bootstrapped our way um, this entire time besides um, like lines of credit. Wow. That is awesome to be able to maintain ownership of the entire company like that as a family. That's incredible. What's the biggest breakthrough you've had? Ooh, that's a good question. Personally or through the business? In the business and growing the business. I think the biggest breakthrough for me came you know, two years ago, right before we really started growing exponentially was I was I had been studying digital marketing for about a year and I was so overwhelmed because Chris I know you've spoken about this of being a perfectionist and mm-hmm. wanting everything just to be absolutely perfect but a lot of times that just handicaps you from getting things done totally and that was just something that was really holding us back was my perfectionism so much that I wasn't making progress and the business wasn't growing because I was so afraid of messing things up. And one day I was, I think I was just on a random Facebook group um, on like a digital marketing Facebook group. And someone put up a post about done beats perfect. And it's kind of this idea that, you know, it's better to have a project that's completely imperfect than sitting back and being uh, your own hypocrite and just like not getting anything done. And that really changed my life, that, that phrase. And so I started taking imperfect action every single day towards the goals and towards the dreams I wanted to do, which was becoming self-employed. And that really changed the trajectory of our company early on um, because... I was the one holding us back. And my mom is amazing. And she's all about taking imperfect um, action. But it was really me that was 
the one at fault there. And so that phrase changed my life. Tell me about working with family. Any challenges or is it a, a blessing? What does that look like? You know, it is a blessing and it's extremely, extremely challenging. It's kind of hard. Sometimes you just take things, you just take all, you can't just ignore the things that you grew up with. Just, just ignore them in the company because then you're just, you know, you're cutting off your emotions. And so it's so important to have like emotional intelligence and being able to communicate properly. So sometimes that looks like, saying I'm putting on a lot of times my mom and I will use the different um, hats verbiage. Have you ever heard of that before? Like wearing different hats? Yeah. Like wearing different hats where like, Hey mom, I'm putting on my CEO hat right now. So that it just kind of gives more clear communication of where we are with our personas. Because a lot of times at times it's hard for me to be her son and it's hard Mm. for her to be my mother in the business, especially when we have, you know, 40 other employees there, we have to be professional and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, we're both working towards creating a better life for both of us and creating a better life for our employees. And so that's what we try to stick to, stick to the vision, stick to data, be kind, be empathetic. You know what? This is a really, really good piece of advice. I hope people caught that because we kind of just brushed over it. But wearing different hats. In other words, if you're building with a spouse, if you're building with a significant other, if you're building with family, a parent, doesn't matter. Being able to clear the air and change how they view you by saying, wait a minute, I need to have an important conversation and I'm putting on my CFO hat, my CEO hat, my marketing hat, whatever it might be, so that you can almost put them on notice to clear any stories that they have built up from you know, whatever happened at breakfast, so to speak, <laughs> and that it's time to view you as you know, a marketing officer or a CEO or something like that. That is a brilliant piece of communication that people should start adopting. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been extremely helpful for us. A couple more questions. You know that we talk about money a lot on the show. What role has generosity played in your success? Ooh, that's a good question. You know, I think I posted it on my Instagram the other day was if you want to change your life, stop focusing on what you can get and start focusing more on what you can give. I think that a lot of suffering comes from focusing on yourself and just focusing on what you can get because you can continue to get all the prettiest things in the world. But if you have no one to share them with, then you don't have a life. Oh. And so for me, generosity is something I, I'm still working on because, you know, like I said, when I was 16, when my dad got laid off, you know, money became a huge form of anxiety for me. Like just so much so that I just wanted my my fists, you know, I had like my clenched fists and I was gonna will my way to success no matter what no matter who got in my way i was going to you know you're going to protect this, it yeah yeah i'm going to protect it and i'm going to have a to-do list and i'm not going to let anyone get in between me and my dreams kind of thing and that just attitude is so painful and so lonely that i think i've been learning over the past 2 years how to open up those clenched hands um, because it's way more fun when you're able to do things with <laughs> your close friends and your 
close family. Because when you open up those hands, people start to come beside you and grab your hand and start walking with you towards your goals and your dreams. And so I think just opening up and having like an open heart because money comes and goes. But I know for a fact that, you know, I believe that God wants to bless people who are going to give more. And so if you're going to just hang on to your finances and hang on to all those things, then I think that he's going to be reducing what he's giving you because you're not opening that up to the world because Mm. those finances aren't for you. They were never yours to begin with. Those are to be returned to the people to heal and restore the world. Dude, so good. So now that you're becoming more comfortable with letting go of money and, and giving in all forms, really, do you have a favorite moment of giving that stands out? I ask everybody this question. Oh, man. I, <laughs> I do. So, so it was actually Christmas 2016. It was kind of our first crazy half year of waiting comforts where we had really started to see some big growth in revenue. And it was at a time where we didn't have our manufacturing facility. And I go to one of our employees' homes and she is from Syria. She basically... I'm sitting there and she had just sewn 20... I think it was like 20 to 40 blankets that week for all the Christmas gifts. And I'm just sitting at her kitchen table counting the blankets and her newborn baby is sitting there at the end of the table. And so is her like eight-year-old daughter and her three-year-old son and her husband. And I begin to write a check for, I think it was close to $1,200. And I just looked around the room and I saw how meaningful it was for this family to receive this check because I knew it meant way more to them than it meant to me. I had only had $13 in my bank account probably six months before that. And to be able to provide that for them was just such a special moment that I just got so teary-eyed as they all began to hug me and just like thank me for giving them a job. And so that was honestly probably the most touching moment that I've ever had in terms of generosity. Amazing. You've talked about your journey and how you have been moving from this place of scarcity and holding on to every dollar and hoarding it to obviously now being a generous individual. How do you view money right now? I see money as a resource to heal and restore the world. That is such a great definition and one that'll empower you to go out and get a lot more of it. So where can we find you? And better yet, where can we find the weighted blankets? Yeah. So you can follow me on Instagram at Josh J. Durham. You spell Durham, D-U-R-H-A-M. And you can follow us on Instagram at waitingcomforts.com. And it's spelled W-E-I-G-H-T-I-N-G, comforts, um, or waitingcomforts.com. Okay. How much are a blanket, by the way? We start at 195 Okay. So let's do this. I'll give away two blankets, but here's what people have to do. They have to go follow your Instagram and they have to send, they have to go to my Instagram as well, Chris W. Harder, and they have to send one of us a message nominating somebody who needs one of these blankets. Now, listen, we're going to get, I don't know, 50 or 100 of these things. So we're only giving away two. I'll only give away two. 
And we'll just kind of pick them at random. And we'll give people a couple of days after the episode comes out. But I'll buy two blankets and give them away. But you have to go follow Josh. And you have to go to my Instagram and send me a message, send me a DM nominating somebody who should get it and why. Does that sound pretty good, bud? I love that. Awesome. Okay, so last question. Why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of success and or wealth? You should be unapologetic in your pursuit for wealth if it benefits the service of others. Oh, so good. Short and so sweet. I love your answers, by the way. They're just like mic drops. It's so easy to digest. It's so important. You have added so much freaking value, Josh. And I can't thank you enough. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Are you serious? Totally my pleasure. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.